special today for me to be able to share with you some of the direction that God is leading this church in as we look forward to the year ahead. These are heady days full of promise and challenge and potential. And I'm very excited about it. I can't personally recall any time in my life when our country was facing so much uncertainty politically and economically. I know that there have been times, surely, in America's history when everything was up in the air and there was tremendous uncertainty. Of course, the Civil War, the World Wars, um, there were other wars, Vietnam, right? The Korean War, there was a Great Depression. Our country has definitely experienced periods of uncertainty concerning the future and how events are going to play out. I know that, but in my lifetime, it seems to me at least, that we're currently navigating waters as a nation that are very precarious. And that's not an endorsement, by the way, or an indictment for or against any political party or persuasion. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in heavenly places, Ephesians 6.12. As a nation, we live in uncertain times. As Christians, our future couldn't be more secure. Therefore, do not be anxious, saying, what shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Matthew 6, 31 through 33. From the very beginning, God has been leading his people, and he still is. He's always guiding and directing and leading. We're the ones that have to choose to follow, and we're going to talk about that today as we look at some direction for this church in 2013. So the title of my message today is Come Grow With Us. And it's going to lead us into a new sermon series that I'm writing that will start next week called Essentials, where we'll talk about some of the essential elements to growing as followers of Christ. So today, then, is not so much an in-depth study of one particular subject or text as we usually have, but really just an overview of the direction that we're going for the next several weeks and really throughout the year. And then uh, next week, we'll begin to dig in in earnest into some specific issues and textual passages, okay? But today we're just going to spend a few minutes talking about what it means to be growing as a believer and a follower of Jesus Christ, and then we're going to end the service by celebrating a water baptism together, one of my favorite parts of being a pastor. I don't mean, by the way, that we're all getting in the tank together. You know, when I say we're celebrating together, don't just misunderstand me. You had to sign up for that. But we're going to witness and celebrate together the water baptism of one of our family members here at Upcountry Church. And I have learned, you know, this building, we just bought it this summer, and it's 75, probably over 80 years old. We're, we're looking into the history of that. It has been a Baptist church. Uh, they left in 1942, and then it was Presbyterian, and then it was uh, Methodist, and then it was Seventh-day Adventist, and then we bought the building. So there's been a lot of people worshiping in this place. But it has seen a lot of years and a lot of use. And, you know, in seminary, they don't teach you about baptismal tank maintenance and upkeep. <laughs> so this whole, you, my wife and I, who are the only ones here during the week, all week long, and it, we're struggling with this thing. And, and actually, thank the Lord, Jared, who's, who's been an amazing human being, a friend, new folks that have been visiting, been meeting, they live nearest neighbors, been helping me out. He's come over and tested the tank, and he actually built a structural wall underneath it so Lauren and I wouldn't end up having baptism in the basement. And we, you know, we fill the thing up, and it holds like 1.2 million gallons of water. It's gigantic. But when it gets up to a certain point, really about the point where it needs to be to baptize someone, it, we found out this morning, floods into the basement. <laughs> so... It's a little wet down there right now. Uh, so my wife and I are running around putting out buckets. And then we dropped this portable heater in there. And it wasn't getting warm. And I called the pastor, the previous pastor finally, who we have a good relationship with, and said, Pastor Neesmith, how long does it take, you know, roughly for the heater to heat up the water? And he said, oh, a few days. <laughs> okay. So if Lauren and my lips turn blue, it's not the Holy Spirit. It's just really cold when we're in the water. So... The joys of planting a church, 
in an old building. We're actually having a great time. We actually love this building. We feel so grateful. And uh, it's just been a wonderful ride. We were supposed to have PowerPoint today. We've had PowerPoint for the message every Sunday. Today's the first day we won't have it. We had a little snag with our PowerPoint. So I apologize for that. If you're taking notes, we normally have it up on the screen. And if you would like my notes after today, um, although it is a bit of an overview, I will email those to you, okay? So I want to start off today just taking a very quick look at what has happened, what's happened, and that's my first point, what's happened. In 2012, after a lot of prayer and fasting and seeking, we really felt that the Lord was telling us to focus on establishing this local church as a legitimate ministry in the upcountry of South Carolina. And by legitimate, I don't mean legally or financially, although we've met both of those requirements. I mean a legitimate, consistent gathering of believers committed to Christ and to each other and to the community around us. And that's exactly what has happened. Along the way, we've seen over two dozen people just in the first few weeks of this church make commitments to Christ. I've watched the most wonderful sense of family and community develop here between us. We go to restaurants when we're not having football fellowship and half the church goes. There's 30, 40 of us that invade the restaurants. It's wonderful. I really love our church. We've taken opportunities to bless some families in this neighborhood, as most of you know. And it's been tremendous to see the effect that those acts of ministry had on the families that were receiving those blessings. We had a, draw, a food drive for Thanksgiving, a toy drive for Christmas, and we've given away many hundreds of dollars of gift cards to Ingalls, to, to needy families. Had one single mom say, I had just explained to my son, my nine-year-old son, that he wasn't going to get anything for Christmas this year. And she was crying. And, and he said, it's okay, Mom. And it really touched me anyway to, to our church to come together and bless them. It's just an amazing thing. You know, a kid not getting anything for Christmas. So I love you guys. Sorry, I don't normally do this. <laughs> just really touched by this church and by you and what you're doing. It's, it's been tremendous to see. So uh, we've begun... Oh, as I mentioned, to support some missionary families. We have two families, actually, that we're supporting on the mission field, and we've been giving to other organizations within the Assemblies of God um, that support church planting. And so we're doing a lot of stuff as a young church. All of this is a part of God leading us, but at the end of the day, we have to make the choice to follow him. See, we have to choose to be a part of what he's doing. When we give food and goods to hurting families, that's as much about us as it is about those receiving the gifts. Because God can provide for people in any way that he chooses. But he always directs us to be a part of what he's doing. If we opt out, we're the ones that lose out. And I don't want to lose out. I don't want to miss out on what God is doing. I don't want our church to miss out on what God is planning for this city and the entire upcountry. And so I've been praying that 2013 would be a year of growth for this church in every area that we should be growing in. And I say that because not all growth is good, right? I don't want my financial debt to grow. I don't, I don't want an unhealthy relationships in my life to grow. I don't want sin to grow in my life. I don't want my waistline to grow. I don't want this church to grow in attendance just for the sake of having a large crowd on Sunday mornings. Some growth just isn't good. But there are many areas of our lives that we should always be growing in, and chief among them, of course, is our relationship and walk with Christ and with each other and in our effectiveness in ministry. That means committing ourselves, devoting ourselves in this church as a whole to following Jesus Christ, and not just on Sundays when we're here in the room together, but every day, day after day, in everything that we do. So the question is, point number two, what does it mean to follow Christ? For those of you who have been coming to this church from the beginning, you've heard me say this. Jesus never walked up to anyone that I can find in Scripture and said, come have a personal relationship with me. What he did do was walk up to people time after time after time, and he said, what, come follow me. In fact, in Matthew 10, 38, Jesus says, whoever does not take his cross and follow me is not worthy of me. But we've somehow translated that today, I think, in our churches to only mean following him in our heart. And that certainly is a part of the picture, but it's an incomplete picture of the truth. Jesus said, come follow me. And he not only did he mean that in terms of what we believe, but he very much meant it in terms of what we do. Okay, let's turn to James chapter two, 
These are all passages today you're probably very familiar with. Uh, verses 14 through 24. James chapter 2, 14 through 24. He says, what good is it, my brothers, if someone says he has faith but does not have works? Can that faith save him? If a brother or sister is poorly clothed and lacking in daily food and one of you says to them, go in peace, be warmed and filled without giving them the things they need, the things needed for the body, what good is that? So also faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. But someone will say, you have faith and I have works. Show me your faith apart from your works and I will show you my faith by my works. You believe that God is one, you do well. Even the demons believe and shudder. And just pause there for a moment. You know, you know Jesus was there when Lucifer was created, right? Now, I, I don't think, we don't know exactly when, but I don't think the angels probably fell, rebelled three days after they were created. I imagine it was probably quite a long time in the heavenlies that they were together. You know, Jesus and Lucifer were together for a long, long time before Jesus came to earth. Probably had quite a relationship, I would imagine. And so when Lucifer rebelled and took the angels with him and they fell and Jesus came to earth in, in the form of a man and he was whisked off into the desert for 40 days to be tempted, I always all my life growing up thought, I wonder what that must have been like for Jesus. All of a sudden, he, he, there's this person, this evil person, Satan, Lucifer, tempting him and how creepy that must have been and that whole thing. You know, but you know, he knew him for a long, long time before that happened. There was a relationship that he had with Jesus. But he, why was he not then included with all the angels? It's not because he didn't have a relationship. It's because he wasn't following Christ. The moment he chose to stop following Christ, he and the other angels were cast out of the heavens, you see? So it's more like your old friend who's fallen away from the Lord and gets into drugs and all kinds of horrible things, and he comes back after 10 years and says, hey, man, come here. You got to try this. You know, we, I know this guy. And you begin to speak the truth to him. Can you see how the, how the conversation must have been different than maybe we think? Because there was relationship there. Okay, continuing on, verse 20. That was just a little side note for, for your enjoyment. Do you want to be shown, you foolish person, that faith apart from works is useless? Was not Abraham our father justified by works when he offered up his son Isaac on the altar? You see that faith was active along with his works, and faith was completed by his works. And the scripture was fulfilled that says Abraham believed God, and it was counted to him as righteousness, and he was called a friend of God. You see that a person is justified by works and not by faith alone. Okay, so we know that works, what we actually do, is important. But what about Ephesians 2.8, where Paul says, For by grace you've been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing, it is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. So, so what's the deal? Is it works or not? Well, the answer is we are saved by grace through faith. It is a free gift that we cannot earn or purchase by our own merit. No question. However, salvation, faith in Christ, is the first step that we take toward a life devoted to Jesus Christ, a life spent following him. And everything after that initial prayer of repentance, placing our faith and trust in Christ, requires effort on our part. So our works then, what we actually do, justify the faith and commitment that we've made to Jesus Christ. That's what James is trying to say. So there's no conflict then between these two passages, okay? In other words, faith is the basis for our salvation and works are the necessary result of our salvation. And on that point, James and Paul agree. What I'm driving at here is that when we say, do you have a relationship with Jesus Christ? Do you have a relationship with Jesus Christ? To be saved, you have to have a relationship with Jesus Christ. The connotation there is we have this thing, this relationship that we sort of hang on to and put in our pocket and carry around with us, and we have this, and I'm good because I have this relationship. It's not completely untrue, but it's an incomplete picture. You see, to say I am a follower of Christ, the connotation is I'm doing something. I'm in process. I do have a relationship with Christ, yes, but I'm also following him. Okay, so one justifies the other. The problem we run into is that so many place their trust and faith in him and then go right back to what they were doing before they met him. Yet when we look at the disciples of Christ in scripture, in every case, they walked away from their former lives and they followed him. 
Not just an intent, but an action. Matthew chapter 4, Peter and Andrew, and later James and John, all left their former lives as fishermen, dropped their nets, followed him, walked away from family, followed him. In Matthew 9, uh, Matthew leaves his job at the tax booth and follows Jesus. In Matthew 19, Jesus tells the wealthy young man that he has to sell everything and leave his former life if he wants to follow Christ. And he what? He walked away sad. For the disciples, the idea of following Jesus wasn't just some kind of mental ascent or emotional response to meeting the Messiah. It meant actually walking away from their former lives and living a completely new life. And it's important that we understand that following Christ still means that today. And by the way, it's different things for different people. Some of them left family. Some of them left their vocation. Uh, some of them left the relationships that they were in. Paul continued to make tense. He clearly knew how to do that before, you see. So what God called, I'm not telling everyone that if you're saved, you have to quit your job and go find a new job. You might have to. He calls some to that, but not for everyone. There may be a relationship for you that you have to walk away from. It may be a situation or a circumstance, but it still means that today. It's interesting to parallel the lives of Peter and Judas Iscariot, two well-known disciples of Christ. Both were called by Jesus Both chose to follow him. Both of them experienced the same events, the same teaching, the same fellowship. Both of them sinned against the Lord. But in the end, one chose to continue following Jesus. And the other said, I've had enough. I'm done. I'm not going any further. And the moment he stopped following Christ, what happened? It destroyed him. What made the difference in those two? Well, Judas was thinking of himself before the others. His focus was on himself. Peter was able to step back from himself, his own selfish desire, and look at the big picture. His focus ultimately was on something bigger than himself, on someone other than himself. This parallel between Peter and and Judas should teach us something, and it's our third point. It's what to avoid, okay? If you study culture and societies at all, you find that individualism today is somewhat of a Western phenomenon. Many of us have grown up in this our whole lives. I, had, I did, and so it seems normal to us. It's, it's actually a bit of a Western phenomenon. Individualism or individualistic thought can be traced back to the Hellenistic age in ancient Roman culture when the early Greek philosophers placed their worth and welfare of the individual over the worth and welfare of the community. Hellenism is diametrically opposed to Hebraic thought, which was God's design for his people which is holistic or holism, okay? So there's Hellenism and there's holism or Greco-Roman Hellenistic thought and Hebraic holistic thought, okay? Hellenism separates secular from sacred. Holism says there is no secular and sacred. It all belongs to God. Hellenism separates God from other areas of our lives. I have my job. But this is, who does this remind you of? This is the way we are. This is the way I've always been. I have my job. I have my family. I have my hobbies, I have my religion, I have God, I have church, and so on, in little compartments. They're all individual pieces of my life. Hebraic thought or holistic thought says that God is in all of it. It all runs together. There's no separation. We can't put God in a walled-off area in our lives and say, well, he's part of my church life, he's, he's part of this religious part of me, and then leave him out of other areas because he's in all of it and he's over all of it. That's holistic thought. Hellenism separates the individual from the community. It says that I am what's important. It's about me. I matter most. Holistic thought places the good of the community over the good of the individual. So you have this Greco-Roman Hellenistic way of thinking and the Hebraic holistic way of thinking. Hellenism started, by the way, with these early Greek philosophers and has come and gone over the generations throughout societies. But it really took hold in Western society during the Enlightenment, really, and it hasn't let go since. And the church is not immune to it in the West by a long shot, okay? It was actually some of the early church fathers, interestingly enough, like Augustine, who made the first attempts not to turn us back to holism, but to combine Hellenism and holism. And we now refer to that as dualism, theological theology geeks. You know, we, we call it dualism. So it's a mixture of these two perspectives. It tries to mix Hellenism and holism together. And that's basically what we have now 
in the Western church, Christian church. We have a form of dualism, okay? That's a bit of a history lesson. But the point is, I believe that if we're going to continue to grow in the Lord, if this church is going to grow in 2013, I believe that we have to work our way back toward a more holistic worldview concerning the will of God in our lives. Everything about the me, 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 Hellenistic worldview is counter to the worldview of the writers of Scripture, and it's counter to Jesus' worldview in Scripture. For God's people in the Bible, and certainly for Jesus, we see that the Father was over all and in all. Everything that God's people did and said, every action was guided by the Father. And of course, they had to choose whether or not to follow him. But we see God giving direction to his people in every area of their lives. He told them what to eat and what not to eat. He told them what they should drink, how to dress, how to worship, how to pray, how to learn, how to take care of each other, and on and on and on, right? And obviously, there's an element of legalism there, and now we live in an age of grace. But don't mistake the changing of the delivery of God's message with the changing of his character, because God's character never changes. And just as he was concerned with every single area of the lives of his people in the Old Testament dispensation with the Hebraic people, so he is today. He's concerned with every area of our lives. Matthew 10, 29 and 30 says, are not two sparrows sold for a penny? And not one of them will fall to the ground apart from your father. But even the hairs of your head are all numbered. Fear not, therefore you are of more value than many sparrows. He cares about every single area of our lives and therefore we should include him in every single area of our lives. Did you catch that? He cares about every single part of you, everything that concerns you, the littlest to the greatest. Every single area of our lives, we should then be including him likewise in every area of our lives. That is holistic thought. And I believe it's his design for us. That, that means Christ, following Christ daily. Every decision, every action, every relationship, and everything that we say and do, we follow Jesus Christ. Okay, And so with that in mind, point number four, what's next? What's next this year? What are we looking at? When we started this church, we adopted the phrase, experiencing life together, living out the gospel. That's been our motto, our, our vision, our slogan, whatever you want to call it. And that hasn't changed. For us, it means that we're not just building some organization here. We're building a community of faith, a family of believers that love God, and love each other, that love our community around us. And together we're experiencing life as we live out the gospel. So much of what we did in 2012 was just a little taste of that. It's, it's been wonderful, but it's just a taste. We're going to continue to reach out to those around us and those within the church and try and address every aspect of life as best we can in a holistic way. In addition to continuing to meet the physical needs like providing food and clothing and assistance at crucial times as we've been doing, I want to encourage each of you, and I certainly have to include myself in this, to pursue a physically healthy lifestyle this year. I want to see our church get in shape. Jesus was always keen to address the physical needs of others, and I think if we're going to be an example of godly character to those around us, we should be conscious of what we take into our bodies. What we're eating. Are we getting daily exercise? Are we taking care of our bodies? And I've grown up in church um, and seeing pastors, and I'm just, I lump me into that, by the way. I'm not slamming anybody. We've got, these, we've got these big pastors on the stage yelling at people because they smoke or, or chew tobacco or whatever. You know, it just always seems so hypocritical to me. I wanted to crawl under the pew. You know, so listen, I'm not, I'm not in the best shape, although most of this is muscle. <laughs> it's really, it's really not. I'm telling you, I, I'm going to make an effort, right? It's not just a New Year's resolution and it's not, I'm going to lose 20 pounds by March 3rd. It's, I'm going to start eating a little bit better. I'm going to start exercising a little bit more. It's just a, it's a step toward a healthier life. And I'd like to to do that with you. 1 Corinthians 6, 19 and 20 says, your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God. 
you're not your own, for you were bought with a price. So glorify God in your body. I believe we'd be doing a disservice if we ignored the physical needs of those around us, even as we address the spiritual needs. And that was certainly the case with Jesus, always addressing physical needs as well as spiritual needs. Of course, we will always offer emotional support through counseling and mentoring as we have been at the church. But I want to ask you to also take time on your own for personal devotional time with the Lord this year on a daily basis. Personal prayer on a daily basis is critical to effectively following Christ. I would not survive without prayer. Ephesians 6.18, Paul instructs the church to be praying at all times in the spirit with all prayer and supplication. To that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication or interceding for all the saints. Prayer should permeate the believer's life universally. In this verse, Paul uses the word all five times. He's driving home the point here that you cannot pray too much. Prayer simply must be a part of every believer's daily life. Okay? I want to encourage you this year. Take time if you don't every day, even when you don't feel like it. Make it a habit to spend time in prayer with the Lord. It is the only way you will grow in Him. We'll certainly continue teaching the Word of God through Sunday morning services and group Bible studies as we have been, and we're going to expand that this year. But I want to encourage you to take the time and make the effort to study Scripture individually as well. Daily reading, but, but not just reading. Meditation, study of God's Word is essential to discerning the will of God for your life. See, we, we're, we spend too much time when we read just reading the the Bible like it's a newspaper but we have this books parts of it centuries old given to us by the creator God and we just flip through and read it there's so much more there if you'll take the time with the appropriate materials and if you don't know what that is I'll gladly tell you and study his word meditate on his word it's not enough to just read the word of God it's not enough you need to study the word. You need to meditate, memorize scripture. Hebrews 4.12 says, For the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and spirit, of joints and of marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. The more time I spend in the word of God, the closer I grow to him. It's a fact. Why? Because the more I read and study and meditate on his words to us, the more understanding and revelation I obtain from the Holy Spirit about his character and his desires and his intentions and his plans. Following Jesus Christ means significant time spent ingesting scripture. This is a prescription for personal growth. What I've just shared with you, it's a prescription for personal growth, okay? And, and I'm getting clo close to wrapping up here, but to help us get started and hopefully... This will help, particularly if you struggle with any of these areas. We've put together some packets for you guys today. They're, they include really simple guidelines for healthy eating. Some of you don't even need that because you know more about this than I do. Uh, simple guidelines for healthy eating. There's, there are daily devotional uh, time in there. There's daily scripture reading guides. There are some men-specific and women-specific devotional materials. Um, and they're, they're back there on the sound booth wall. So I'm asking you, please pick one of those up today as you go, or at least one per family. Um, that isn't just something we put together to hand you because they're nice. We've read through the materials. It's, it's good material. Much of it is a start. It's a way to get started, really, to help you create a habit in your life of devotional time and reading, okay? It's not deep study material, but we want you to have one of those packets to encourage you to form some healthy, godly, spiritual habits and physical habits in your life. So take them home and look at them when you have time. We all need personal growth in our lives. This church also needs to grow. Uh, not because we need to hit some benchmark so that we can be considered a big church or so that we can brag about our success. We need this church to grow because God desires all people to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth, 1 Timothy 2.4. If we're doing what we're supposed to, this church will grow for the right reasons. 
and we'll see our reach and effectiveness in reaching the lost, equipping the saints, building up the body, all that he's called us to do. We'll see that extended through this church. As we have in 2012, we'll continue to put together community outreach events. Those were effective. We'll try and make connections with those living wholly apart from God. But I'm asking you today, in terms of church growth, would you consider inviting someone to this church every week this year? And let me just say, guys, if you roll over in bed on Sunday morning and invite your wife to church, that doesn't count. (laughs) That would be something I would be likely to do, but no. And I include myself in this. I've already actually been doing it since we started the church. By far and above, the vast majority of church growth comes from Christians inviting others to come with them. Did you know that? We can put out flyers and commercials and all those things and a little effect, honestly. I genuinely long to see the kingdom of God and his reach through this church expand in this city and in this region, and I believe you do too. And I also believe that God wants to use us to do that, but it's going to require some effort on our part. So I'm asking you, would you be willing to invite someone different to church every week this year? I'm committing that to you today. That's exactly what I've been doing and will continue to do, okay? So this is a holistic challenge, if you will. Healthier living, daily prayer, daily Bible study, and reaching out to others. Inviting others to church every week for an entire year. I want to see us, me, you, grow individually. It's not a token thing. I want to see us grow in every area of our lives that we should be growing in. And I want to see this church grow for the right reasons. Okay? As I mentioned, we didn't have time to fit it in today because we have so much going on. But next Sunday morning, we're going to introduce, we're going to have some folks come forward and we're going to introduce our new men's ministry and our new women's ministry. I'm, uh, I'm excited. I I hesitate to use that word because we overuse that word, but I really am excited about it. I'm looking forward to, and we're going to talk about the continuation of our new youth ministry. Let's make 2013 a year of growth, personally and for this church. And let me just say in closing that if you want to move beyond where you are now and see real growth in your own life, real change, real progress, it's going to require something on your part. I mean, honestly, how many people in the Bible that God used in a truly significant way did not have some skin in the game. Think about it. We can stand there as God calls us to follow him and say, you know, I'm good right now. I'm good right now, Lord. You know, I'm just going to hang out here, but I want you to know for sure that I believe in you, and I'm really glad we have this whole relationship thing going on. So, you know, good luck with the whole journey, and know that I'll be right here believing in you the whole time. That's kind of what we do sometimes. Or we can strap on our boots and say, you know what, wherever you lead, I'll follow. And then begin walking in step with the Holy Spirit as he guides us through this life. That is the only way we will ever see significant spiritual growth in our lives. The process of following Christ. What does that mean? What does it look like? For me and my family, it meant selling our material possessions and quitting our jobs and moving to Alaska for three years and all the ministry and work and sacrifice that went along with that. And then it meant selling all of our possessions again and leaving our Alaskan family who we grew to love desperately and moving back to South Carolina to plant a new church. What does it mean for you? Well, I don't have all those answers because we all have to hear from God on our own. But I do know that he has each of us here for a reason and I know that some of you have left other churches other church families that you were very committed to. I don't take that for granted. Some of you left places that you were very much invested in because God was leading you to help us plant this new church. I know several of you here today, a surprising number of you here today, have left your homes and walked away from an entire life somewhere else, and now you're here helping us build this ministry. There's another family, by the way, from Alaska. I just got a... uh, contact, a phone call, and a text from a family in Alaska uh, two or three days ago. They're moving in March to come here permanently and be a part of helping us build this church. So unless you're just passing through today, which is fine, by the way, if you are, but unless you're just passing through, you're very much a part 
of pioneering this new ministry in Traveler's Rest, and I want you to know that because we haven't even begun to scratch the surface of where God is going to lead this church. I believe that. And for those here, there is a much greater purpose for you than just sitting in a pew or filling an empty seat on Sunday morning. I'm certain of that. The key to finding and fulfilling that purpose is to follow him. And once you begin following, you will see amplified growth in your life. It's a fact. I won't, it's not always easy. It isn't even always pleasant all the time. But it will be the most fulfilling, challenging, growth-inducing life that you could ever live. Okay? How do I hear his voice? How do I know it's him calling? The answer is daily seeking the Lord. So many people over the years as a pastor have said, how do I know God's voice? How do I discern his will for me? Seek and you shall find. Knock and the door will be answered. We have to do our part. We have to have some skin in the game, seeking God. That's why we're handing out these daily reading plans and devotions. If we're going to follow him truly in 2013, if we're going to grow, we have to put some skin in the game. We have to strap on our walking shoes and say, let's go. So over the next few weeks, we're going to talk some more about this, some of the essential elements of a life spent following Christ and what that looks like. And by the way, it's not a flash in the pan knee-jerk emotional response to a great service. Um, emotional responses to worship and teaching of the word can be very powerful and can be life-changing, and they're often necessary in our lives, okay? So I'm not knocking that. I've had many of those responses in my life, and I hope that does never stop. But what I'm saying is, when we talk about following God for the long haul, it is a steady, steadfast commitment to a lifelong journey with Christ and with our brothers and sisters in this family that we call the church, the worldwide body of Christ. So as God leads Upcountry Church in 2013, I'm inviting all of you to come grow with us. Let's be a part of something bigger than ourselves, something transcendent of the hyper-individualism that has infected our culture. The early church, by the way, was counter to the culture. I think they were much less concerned about relevance than we are today. But there was so much spiritual fruit coming out of that community of believers that it was very relevant. They didn't have to have community outreach events and blow up slides and all the stuff we do. I'm great with all of it, okay? But they didn't have to do that. They just had church and the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved because people wanted what they had going on within that church. It was so powerful. That's where we should be. That's, that's the body of Christ at its best. And we are the body of Christ. So let's grow together in 2013, okay? Would you pray with me? First of all, I just want to say if there's anyone here, um, I think I know most of you today, but if there's anyone here today and uh, you've never made a commitment to Christ in your life, or you have, and you say, I've really gotten away from the Lord, and I would like to make that commitment again. Is there anyone here today, because I'd like to pray with you, uh, would you just raise your hands for a moment, and I'll, you can put them right back down. I'm not trying to embarrass anyone, and I think we've all prayed this prayer together probably already, but if there's anyone here today, and you just say, you know what, I'd like to make that commitment, I'd like to pray that prayer, I'd like to know that I'm on track with the Lord, I'm following him. What we'll do is just say a simple prayer, the whole church together, and then I'll talk to you about what comes after all of that. But is there anyone here today, you would raise your hand and say, yeah, Pastor Robert, that's me. I'd like to pray that prayer. I'd like to commit my life to him. Anyone at all? Okay. Lord, I thank you for this church. And for these people. Thank you for uh, knitting us together into something bigger than ourselves. Help us to move as you move in 2013. Help us to truly follow your leading this year that we, that we might grow in our faith and our testimony and in our reach to those outside of your kingdom. We're asking you to grow this church, Lord, that you may be glorified in it by every word, every testimony, every relationship. May you now and forever be exalted in our hearts and in this church. 
We give you and you alone all praise and glory and honor. Amen. I want to ask our worship team to come forward. We have one more item to take care of before we go downstairs for our football fellowship. We're going to prepare to celebrate this water baptism together. One of the most profound ways to proclaim to the world our commitment to Christ is through public water baptism. Jesus commanded us to be baptized in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit in Matthew chapter 28. Just to quickly list some other passages since we don't have them up and we don't have time to read them, but other passages of Scripture that instruct us to be water baptized or give examples of those who were. As we don't have time to read them, I'll just call them out. Matthew 28, 19, and 20. Acts 2, 38. Acts 2, 41. Acts 8, 26 through 38. And Acts 16, 30 through 33. It's all through the New Testament. Water baptism is an outward public testimony to the inner, inner private working that the Holy Spirit does in us when we're born again. It symbolizes our death as we go back into the water, our burial when we're under the water, and our resurrection with Christ as we come out. The Greek word for baptism is baptizo, which means to immerse or submerge or overwhelm. It was often used in ancient times to refer to sunken vessels at the bottom of the ocean. This is the word that's used in Scripture in connection with water baptism every time. Interestingly enough, the Greek words for pour or sprinkle are never found in Scripture in connection with water baptism. So there's another word, bapto, another Greek word, which means to dip or to dip into dye. And just an interesting little thing here. One of the clearest examples that I've ever found that show the difference between bapto and baptizo, the word that used in scripture for, for baptism, is a text from a Greek poet, and he was a physician, the candor, and lived in about 200 BC. It's a recipe for making pickles. And it's helpful because it uses both words. Listen, the candor says that in order to make a pickle, the vegetable should first be dipped, he says bapto, into boiling water, and then baptized, baptizo, in the vinegar solution. Both of these are verbs concern, concerning the immersing of vegetables in the solution, but the first is temporary. The second, the act of baptizing the vegetable produces a permanent change. The cucumber is unchanged when it's dipped in water, but it's permanently altered when it's immersed in vinegar. In other words, we're all just a bunch of cucumbers until we're baptized. <laughs> and then we become pickles. I love pickles. I was tempted to fill the baptism tank with water, I mean vinegar today actually, just to make the point. But that would have been really expensive and I wasn't sure how long it would take Lauren to get the smell of vinegar out of her hair. So we just use water, it's a biblical method anyway. So I've asked the worship team to lead us in a song of praise as we prepare this uh, to celebrate this baptism together. Would you stand with us?
can be seated. This is extremely cold water. Maybe the fastest baptism I've ever done in my life. I do want to say that um, I've known Lauren's family, her parents, the Hartkeys, for many years. And we've been extremely close with them. And I will tell you, it's one of the finest families I've ever known. And I never really knew Lauren uh, because she was grown when I got to know them. And she went to different churches and had her own life. And so through the planting of this church, Jonathan and Lauren, Jonathan Lauren's husband, they're playing guitar, um, came along. And so they really felt like the Lord was leading them here to help us plant this new work. And um, they have been phenomenal people. And it has been such a joy to get to know them and to, to walk together through struggles, mine and theirs, and through triumphs and Jonathan comes to the house and helps me stain furniture, you know, deck furniture at my house. And this is, this is the body of Christ, experiencing life together and living out the gospel. And these guys have been right in the thick of it, just a part of our family growing together. It's what today's been all about. And I'm so thrilled when Lauren came along and said, you know what, I want to be baptized. I want to I make that public profession of my faith. And like all of us, Lauren is has had struggles as we all have and she's come back to the Lord stronger than ever and said you know what this is it man I'm I'm strapping on my boots I'm ready to follow Christ and she has been tremendous as has Jonathan so it's such a great honor to baptize her today and um, I don't think you're gonna say anything are you do you want to say (laughs) okay so uh, very emotional obviously but a wonderful time so um, come on Lord Okay. Lauren, based on your profession of faith, it is a great honor to baptize you in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Praise the Lord. Anybody else want to get baptized before I get out? No, I'm just, I'm just kidding. Hey, let's stand. We're going to sing one more song, and then we'll see you downstairs.
say. 